This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I am Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. We're here today with part of our occasional series called The Entrepreneur's Playbook, where we talk to entrepreneurs about the ins and outs of starting a business. Our guest today is Mpo Sequele. She worked for 10 years in the retail industry before starting two social enterprises, Bantu Hikers and Sintu Online. Mpo, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Now, what inspired you to pursue social entrepreneurship? I think the entrepreneurship bit of it has always been in my blood. Um, both my parents pursued their uh, entrepreneurship um, journeys, starting their own businesses over 20 years ago. I think it was just a natural progression that I would also lend myself um, in the entrepreneurial space, coming from a family of entrepreneurs. But I think the social bit, the social bit was largely charted by, by, by my own life's journey, which um, I'll touch on a bit as we speak. Sure. Can you tell me a little bit, just tell us quickly about your two enterprises and what their goals are? Okay, definitely. They're so different. Um, the first one being Bantu Hikers is actually a nonprofit organization, which I co-founded along with my partner. Um, so what Bantu Hikers does, it's a mentorship platform for first-generation students. Um, we started it because in South Africa, um, only about 18% of students that graduate from um, high school can access universities or any other form of education post-high school. And of that 18%, um, a, l- a large majority of them um, drop out within the first year. I think the number was about 60% drop out within the first year. And the reason is not financially related. Um, based on the history of South Africa, um, with the end of apartheid just um, not so long ago, um, there's been an influx of people that are new to university institutions and so forth. So it's a lot of a big community of first-generation students and professions. So our aim with Bantu Hikers was to help them with that transition from high school um, to subsequently reduce the high dropout rates in the first year and, and increase youth employability. So we use hiking as a metaphor. We climb mountains, literally. Um, with the students, that's us being professionals. And we use the metaphor of climbing mountains to be very similar to going to a university. It's a new space, it's uncharted, it looks impossible until it's done. So, And we also um, facilitate uh, workshops where we teach them psychosocial skills and so forth just to help them cope when they do make that transition into university. So that's Bantu Hikers, the mm-hmm. nonprofit. And Sintu Online? And then Sintu Online, um, it's a for-profit uh, business, which I actually started at the beginning of this year. And the reason for starting Sintu Online um, largely had to do with my own retail experience coming from a retail corporate uh, background. Um, but I took a sabbatical last year in 2017 where I relocated and lived in Slovenia which is in Central Europe, and based on the Slovenian experience, one got to travel quite a bit within Europe. Um, the, the countries are so close to each other, but I think what stood out for me, having traveled in Italy or Austria or Croatia and so forth, was their great sense of pride in their culture and, and heritage. I mean, one could almost go anywhere. You'll always find 
um, an Indian restaurant or Asian restaurant, but there was never um, a piece of Africa that could be found anywhere, which um, really, really uh, was a big mind boggler for me. Um, in addition to that, um, I was on a fellowship program um, in the U.S. at Dartmouth, where, again, um, you connect with various people that um, are longing for an authentic African experience or are curious to know more about African heritage and culture, but there isn't a platform that gives them access to, to those products. So Sintu uh, was then born. Sintu is a Zulu word, which means uh, people or of culture. So what essentially we do, we sell African heritage-inspired clothing and accessories. Um, at affordable uh, prices, largely targeted to Africans in the diaspora, meaning Africans that are living in, in the U.S. Or, or U.K. or Europe markets, and that's both businesses. Now, in your experiences, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that people have about launching a social enterprise? Jeez. Okay, I think um, the biggest misconceptions are that... Um, if you plan right, it'll all work out, and it's far from it. There's so much that comes along the way that you could never possibly uh, uh, plan for. Uh, it's actually a bit of a it's, it's a challenging journey, um, both social enterprises, I mean, be it a, a for-profit or profit. Um, there will be things that will definitely test you. And I think on, on my side, I'd always advise people to perhaps surround themselves with like-minded people or people that build them up because the journey is definitely not one that is is easy or that you could plan 100% to the T. Now, can you talk about one maybe unexpected challenge that came up with either of these enterprises along the way and what you did to tackle it? Um, I think with regards to um, Sinti Online, the biggest challenge was actually thinking that um, people necessarily just, just buy into heritage as it is, um, or, or, or it, it's as simple as that, but it's a lot more work that goes to the brand awareness or the customer acquisition and so forth. So I think what has worked for me in terms of um, um, and putting the brand out there has been going to the desired markets, doing exhibitions, or understanding what what um, the American people's understanding of African heritage is compared to our own understanding of versus the UK markets. And I found that they all differ, but had I not tried to put myself in the customer's shoes or gone into to understand what that customer is, um, I would not be able to even make the brand awareness out there or the customer acquisition. Now, I'm guessing that there's probably a little bit of an education piece when you have a customer coming to the site, looking at what you have what you have to offer. So how do you do that without kind of making it feel like school? I mean, how do you do that in a way that makes it natural, that makes the customer want to learn more? Okay, so first of all, when you land on our homepage, that's into online.com, um, there'll be a short one-minute video that gives you a little bit of insight about who we are, the type of products that are available on the platform. So if you click on it, you can already see that. And and another thing, I mean, on each of our garments, if you go into the products, there's a little bit of a product narrative that's attached to each product that gives you the, the unique 
um, the unique information about a product or the uh, educational element about it. I'll give you an example just now. Um, so one of the, the garments that we have would typically have um, a descriptor that says the fabric was inspired by the Kenta nation um, that's from Ghana and West Africa. And however, it's made by emerging designers in South Africa. So at least you get a sense of where that product comes from or what inspires, what, which piece of heritage inspires it. Now, you spent about 10 years working for established businesses in the retail sector. What are some key lessons you learned from being in that world that inform what you're doing today? Um, I think the main thing is that um, the vision is nothing without a strategic plan. So that's the first thing, have strategies in place. Um, also, secondly, have processes in place because without processes, um, things can always fall apart. So those are things that I apply in my own business that I've taken from that. And lastly, I think um, another lesson is that there will always be someone who is more skilled to to tackle any problem that you might encounter. One must not be shy to ask for help or think that because I'm an entrepreneur, it's my business, I can do everything myself. So there will always be someone available who is a subject matter expert. And who have been some of your most important mentors as you've built these two enterprises? I think um, they've both been largely different by virtue of the nature of work that both enterprises do. So I would say for Bantu Hikers, um, um, there's a platform called Dream Girls International. So it's a bunch of professional ladies that mentor first-generation um, females as well from underserviced communities. So... My co-founder and I for Bantu Hikers were part of that mentorship program where we used to mentor young girls as well. So I think we learned so much from that initiative. I mean, their model was an international model, so there was a lot we could learn in terms of facilitating workshops and so forth for our own students. And with regards to Sintu Online, I think a great source of support or mentorship for that has been um, what is called Silicon Cape, which is an ecosystem of uh, technology networks, um, incubator, and one business incubation program or accelerator that Sintu Online has been on, um, has been supported by Barclays um, Rise Bank. So that has been a great source of mentorship where we've been provided with um, accounting, law, um, law advice, a board of ad uh, an advisory board, uh, business coaching skills, and so forth. So I would definitely say that the Silicon Cape ecosystem, along with its network, has been a great source of support for Sintu Online. Now, with either of these, I mean, as you've sort of gotten involved with incubators, as you've talked to mentors, are there aspects of either business that you'd sort of planned it out at the beginning to be one way, but after talking for talking to mentors and having these experiences that you end up you ended up pivoting in a different direction? Um, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I would say with Sintu Online, um, the business model um, it initially was to buy all the products that we keep from these emerging designers and pay them everything up front, but one becomes very inventory-heavy. So, I mean, as we we pivoted along the way, way we're looking at ways of um, not keeping large inventories, but sort of like um, acting more as a marketplace as opposed to 
a retailer that warehouses inventory. So definitely that was not part of the plan initially, but as one journeys along, you have to pivot in a direction that is viable for the business. Now, with Bantu Hikers, why was it important to you to combine mentoring and education opportunities with this health wellness component with hiking? Oh, that's a very good one. I think the 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 well the health and wellness bit was so critical because without a healthy mind and body, the mentorship is is irrelevant. Um, I mean, everything starts with the mind. Uh, be it you trying to. Um, think that you can achieve anything. It all starts with the mind. So I think because hiking was such a huge part of it for us, and hiking is is more wellness and mental. Um, it was it, it was the only way that we felt that the mentorship could be delivered in a way that is um, not conventional, that um, was very casual, that the kids don't feel forced into into something, but was very laid back and you are achieving the wellness aspect of it, the networking aspect of it, and the mentorship at one go. And what do you see when you when they have, when they take these when the groups take these hiking trips or they go together? Like, what kind of things do you see coming out of the hiking trips specifically? Jeez, I I see people that are more open to to engaging with other people that they wouldn't previously have done that. Uh, I mean, when you hike along the way. Someone else would always need more. Need someone else's help, uh, and and we engage. So I've seen friendships that have been built just amongst the professionals themselves. Um, I've seen the kids being a lot more open to discussing some of their challenges from their communities um, and school and so forth more openly than they would ideally be because they're in an environment that is not forceful for them. And another thing that has been worth noticing with the hikes, um, especially for the for the students that we mentor, is that they are more open to engaging with people that are not of their kind in terms of race or so forth. They don't feel intimidated in those spaces because it's a large group of us that are also occupying an uncharted space. For you to balance a nonprofit like Bantu Hikers with Sintu Online, what are the biggest challenges of that? And then also, how do you find like sort of the two feed into each other and allow you kind of like enhance both experiences? I think the challenges are capacity. So with Bantu Hikers, I'm very grateful that um, I've got a team that um, um, helps out my co-founder and another um, team member who's on our management board. We we I mean. We split a lot of the roles amongst the three of us, so definitely capacity. Sintu online, I think again the challenge is stretching yourself out and 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 trying to get the support and the relevant skills to make certain things happen. But I think where the two merge essentially is the common element or common thread that the the social factor is to uplift people that are either first generation as students or professions, because if you think about this into online models, the designers that um, produce our exclusive ranges are all first generation professions, professionals. I mean, they've had, they, they have n- never had opportunities to produce for big retailers or big corporates. So into online social aspect is one that gives them a platform where they can distribute their own products um, on an international scale ways that would have previously not have happened and they're not directly exposed to, to our target markets. 
Now, how are you able to source the different designers that you work with for, with Sintu Online? Okay, so how, because of my retail experience, um, uh, I have managed to be exposed to quite a wide network of uh, buyers or people that are previously buyers or designers. So as a result, um, they go through a vetting process where they would have had their own um, brands for over two years and they go through, we, 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 we take them through quality assurance checks and so forth. And if they have a proven traction and track rock, uh, a record in their own, in their own um, distribution channels, be it they're only selling off Instagram or they're selling off Facebook or they, their own little shops, what we then do is arrange for them to create exclusive ranges that wouldn't um, otherwise be, be found anyway. And th- those ranges are created exclusively for Sintu Online and we'll go through our own quality checks before we endorse the product on our website. Now, I think and sometimes we tend to romanticize people when they their first foray into business right after school or even before they finish school is to do a startup. Now, you're somebody yeah. who worked at a bigger business and then did a startup. I guess what would your advice be to people about kind of trying to figure out, well, do I want to do a startup first? Do I want to do, do I want to go work for a larger business first? Like, what's where do you come down on that? Geez, it's a bit hard to, to advise the, the, the contrary to people because I haven't experienced it. But I can certainly say, based on my experience, going big retail has taught me so much and so much, uh, so much that I, I have a sense of understanding of how big the industry scope is, how the different players play in the industry. So it allows one to imagine in a, in a much bigger way than I don't think I would have been able to had I gone the startup route first and then corporate. Now, looking at your long experience in retail, how have you noticed the customer changing in that decade? I mean, are, is what the customer wants out of retail, what they want out of a garment, different than what maybe they wanted 10 years ago? Definitely. Um, I think the customer is a lot more um, uh, specific these days. Um, they're a lot more, there's a lot more competition, so they're not as loyal as they were about 10 years ago. I think the customer wants a, an experience with each product that that they buy. Um, they want a they, they want a unique experience. They want to feel special. Um, so it certainly has shifted from what it was ten years ago. I mean, if you think about just the influx of e-commerce itself, how that has just uh, disrupted retail in in a big way. Um, we wouldn't have had Black Friday 10 years ago, but now it's something that is such a, a big trend that people will hold back from shopping now, but they'd rather sh- shop just after the Thanksgiving or the Black Friday weekend instead, which is very, very different from a loyal customer base that we had um, a decade ago where they were not as specific as what they are now. And now that's specifically African customers or customers in Africa or... I think globally. Well, globally. I just, it seems like, I mean, because you hear a lot of talk about Black Friday, mm-hmm. like how that's now it's sort of spread out, that it almost covers months now instead of just the one day. That is correct. That is, I would say probably from the African perspective, it's still a novelty as opposed to Western markets or, or the U.S. or Europe where, uh, like you just mentioned, now sort of spread out. They have a lot more online shopping penetration than what you would have 
here in Africa. I mean, we're currently sitting at just under 1% of online retail sales um, um, compared to the 99% brick and mortar. So it's still very far compared mm-hmm. to more established markets. Now, there seems to be, I mean, there's a lot of interest on the part of global businesses in the African market. And I think one thing that we often hear is that people talk about it as one market when it's, you know, hundreds of diverse markets, really. And how do you how do you think I mean, what would your advice be to people sort of with maybe that misconception or what what would your response be? Uh, My response is there's so many countries in Africa and all so diverse, not only from a language uh, point of view, but religion as well. I mean, it's split into Christianity and and Islamic religions, but also the traditional indigenous religions. So. I would say don't look at Africa as one big, um, one big uh, country. Um, I'm going to give you examples now. One thing I think as an African continent we all have in common is that we are the youngest continent um, globally currently. I mean, with over a billion people currently living here. But if you think about the different parts of Africa that are now mini hubs for different things, take Kenya, for example, it's now known as the tech hub for Africa, where there's a lot of tech innovation that's happening with not just fintech, where they created their own way of of trading and so forth from a financial point of view. But you look at a country like Rwanda, which has grown in great strides from since the genocide, and now they've positioned themselves as the cleanest country in Africa. Um, so from a green economy point of view, um, they're the go-to country. And then you look at South Africa, which is deemed the gateway into Africa itself because of its infrastructure um, um, compared to other African countries. And, I mean, we've got a lot of uh, business and, and, and companies that are competitive and have the right expertise that can compete with first-world countries. So you look at that, um, it's very different uh, strengths that each African country has, so I wouldn't necessarily look at it with a blanket approach. And what would you say with both of your enterprises, what is the most important parts of your personal experiences that you feel like you bring to each one of those? I would definitely say uh, my my exposure to international markets, having traveled a bit, having had lived experiences in other parts of the world outside of my own country um, have 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 shaped the businesses in a big way to 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 just the 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 ability for us to have a bigger vision to scale having seen how other social inter- uh, enterprises scale in the US or in the UK or Europe so I would say based on my personal journey definitely Living outside of my country has definitely shaped the way I do things with both businesses. Now, especially, I mean, made me think, especially here in the U.S., I think we often tend to have a very U.S.-centric view of the world, which can be really yeah. a problem sometimes. Yeah. Um, and my final question is, is, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, who are your inspirations as a leader and why? Oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very interesting one, but... I think largely it's my parents, eh? Um, having seen where they started and a very, very small base compared to my own starting base, but what they've been able to, to build over the years has been nothing short of amazing with the limited skills and resources or education somewhat compared to myself. 
but they keep they they keep pushing, they keep evolving, they keep innovating. So it's always nice to see people that inspire you that are so close to home. So I would definitely say for me, it's it's definitely my parents. Mpo, thanks so much for being with us today. Rachel, thank you so much for having me. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and your other favorite podcatcher. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.